0: I'm going to start the podcast with two things today. Number one, there are no Pokemon Go characters available during this podcast anywhere for you to collect. Number two, I don't want to speak too soon, but this feels like one of the best episodes of the show before the show podcast we have done to date. So set your sights high, kids. Welcome in. It is uh, the latest edition of the Minor League Baseball podcast, the show before the show. I'm Tyler Maughan, and Sam Dykstra is back for another week. Hi, Sam.
1: Hi, Tyler. Uh, you set the uh, bar incredibly high. Very high. We have Very so high. much podcasting still to do that uh, I don't know if I can meet that bar, but you I'm going to try my best, you know?
0: It's uh, it's all we can do. It's all we can do. Got to take it one segment at a time. Just, just blow it <laughs>
1: out from the beginning. Of exactly. Just, oh, no, this is going to be the best one you've heard in forever.
0: Exactly. Like, so. um, <laughs> and people by the end will be... Extraordinarily disappointed. No, we got a great one coming <laughs> up on the show today. Episode number 67 of the show before the show podcast, which you can find, by the way, at MILB.com slash podcast. You can also find us on iTunes, wherever else you get your podcasts. And uh, while you're there, give us a rating and a review and a subscription. if You would be so kind if, if it's all nice things and five stars. Uh, and we would uh, you'll have our never ending gratitude. We'll invite you to our birthday parties or something. Um, Futures game in the books. Did you get to watch?
1: I did not. I was very busy with, with family things. Or, yeah,
0: you had a wedding I, and all that yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah, but
1: I mean, I saw it on DVR, so I right. I did not watch it live with everybody else, but I, I saw most of the action anyways. I saw, you know, Eloy Jimenez, I think. Uh, Josh Jackson was there, was covering it for he us. He was, our own he, Josh he was, Jackson. He was trying to beat the drum for Eloy Jimenez being the uh, MVP. I think he had a very strong case there. You know, Mankata certainly, you know, stole the spotlight with a homer and a steal and was doing all sorts of your own Mankata things. It was nice to see that on the big stage. Um, but, yeah, no, it, was, it looked like it was a it was a plenty fun, fun game um, you know, compared to the Major League All-Star game, which was a little bit more of a dud. At least there were plenty of fireworks um, in that Futures game, particularly at the end for the world.
0: Josh Jackson, by the way, also gave a fairly in-depth breakdown on um, Tyler O'Neal's deltoids in a text message conversation that we had because Josh and I have discussed the size of – tyler o'neill's terrifying python arms on multiple occasions and uh (laughs) terrifying canadian terrifying canadian python arms it's the most dangerous export in canadian history tyler o'neill of the seattle mariners organization and uh yeah it was a lot of fun futures game is always one of the coolest events on the calendar and uh we with that have passed the midway point in the major league season and now save for the short season leagues Everybody is over halfway done with the 2016 season, and that leads us into strike one in this week's edition of Three Strikes, which is the subject of this week's tool shed from one Sam Dykstra on milb.com. Midseason milbies, the best in minor league baseball yearly coming up at the end of the year, but for some midseason love, Sam put together uh, some options, some takes on who's really been standing out at the the player, the individual level, the team level, the farm system level. Take us through it, Sam.
1: Yeah. So like you mentioned, you know, we do our end of the season awards, um, you know, this is a little bit of giving a little bit of a preview, um, as to how things would shake out if the season ended today. Uh, so I won't touch on too much. Uh, we can have a little bit of a debate on some of these in a little bit. I think some of them are pretty cut and dry. Uh, we've talked, you know, so much on this podcast, we've written so much about him, Alex Bregman. I mean, that, that, uh, paragraph pretty much wrote itself I had him as the top offensive player this is a guy who you know is the only minor leaguer to rank in the top 10 in both OBP and slugging uh, he's the only minor leaguer with an OPS above 1000 with a 1.019 through 70 games in the Texas and Pacific Coast Leagues uh, his WRC plus he's 183 uh, when I wrote this I couldn't find anybody else uh, who had one higher than 174 uh at any you know at, at any level uh of the minors, I think that's changed since Kristen Stewart is now at 182, so he's right below, but still Bregman has that uh that top spot there. So he's an easy pick for top offensive player, long story short. Uh Brock Stewart I had for starting pitcher, a guy who's pitched at three different levels in the Dodgers system. Uh, he's leading all minor league full season pitchers with a zero point eight four whip uh he's got a 1.66 era 10.3 strikeouts per nine one and a half walks per nine and a 2.09 fip um all of those which you know when you put them together is a very very strong resume Uh, i don't think this is like last year when blake snell pretty much ran away with the starting pitcher of the year award at the halfway mark and at the end of the season um so i think stewart just has the strongest resume right now Uh, again this is We'll talk about this more at the end of the season. Milby's, just for the point of this, is how they've performed this season. It's not top prospect. It's not, you know, most promising future, right. that kind of thing. It's who has performed best in this role. So, top offensive player, Alex Bregman. I don't think anybody disagrees with that. He's been the best offensive performer in of the minors so far. Uh, it's top starting pitcher. A little bit more of debate there, but I have Brock Stewart, top reliever. Joe Jimenez, I'll save him because we're going to talk about him a little bit in a segment later. This one, I think there's a little bit more of a debate, and I would be interested to get your take on it, Uh, Tyler. I have Eloy Jimenez, the guy who was a little bit of the star in the Futures game this Sunday. Uh, He was the guy who both hit a home run, made a nice catch in right field going up and over the wall uh, to pull a ball back for the world team. Uh, Yeah, He was one of the Cubs' big international signings back in 2013, signed for... $2.8 $2.8 million, but was still ranked number 10 in a you know fairly crowded Cubs system coming into the season, but not really on the top 100 radar. Uh, I think that's certainly the case now. You, know, you could make a case that he is a top 50 prospect even. I know Baseball Prospectus and Baseball America both did that, putting him in the top 50. Uh, so he we went from outside the top 100 into the top 50 on both of those lists. MLB Pipeline will be coming out with its own later this month, I believe. Uh, but uh, for a guy who's 19 years old, He's hitting 332 right now with 40, 40 extra base hits and an 899 ops in 80 games at the class A level for south Bend uh, this is a guy who just looks like a he was made to hit and the fact that he's doing that as a as a teenager you know what would be his first full it is his first full season but had he gone into the draft last year if he was American uh this would be his first full season really you know doing well in a full season league. We'll see how long it stretches out, but it sounds like everybody was impressed with the way he performed at the Futures game. So he's my pick for top breakout prospect. Is there somebody else you have in mind, Tyler, or somebody else who could have gone there, you think?
0: You know, I think he definitely has, you know, maybe a, I don't want to say a head and shoulders lead over over everybody else in this conversation, but there are a lot of guys who are kind of grouped on that 1A tier behind him. Um, one of the guys who really has stood out to me, and I, there are so many guys in this conversation who I don't know – the extent that you can really call them breakout because of what they've done in the past and the notoriety that they've somewhat had coming into the season. But Tyler Glass now, as great as he had been throughout his minor league career already prior to 2016, he goes to AAA in 2016 and becomes all of a sudden the best pitcher in baseball. Um, makes the climb, obviously, to Pittsburgh, and we've seen this rush of prospects now get to the Pirates. Um, so I think that's one of the guys you could talk out, talk about as maybe being – in sort of a final stage of breakout rather than just being the first time that he really arrives on the scene in the conversation. obviously it's so different because he's been a known commodity for a while. Um, But, you know, he's one of the guys who stands out. I also think, You can make a case for multiple prospects in the Boston Red Sox system. Yohan Mankata, obviously, last year gained a lot of hype because of what he was able to do now at two levels so far this season. He's been outstanding. He's been better through 16 games in AA than he was at 61 games uh, at Class A Advanced. Uh, So, obviously, he's one that you could talk about. Andrew Benintendi was really, really good at the beginning of the season, has cooled a bit since going to AA, uh, and Rafael Devers has continued to play well with Class A Advanced Salem. There was so much talent on that roster to start the year. You could have picked any of those guys, it feels like too um you know so i think there are many guys who fit in like i said in kind of that second tier of the conversation i also think dance swanson could be primed to be one of those guys in that discussion by the end of the season. Again, he's played at two levels. He's held his own in double A, got the all-star appearance. Seems like he's been finding his way there. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I agree with the assessment that at this stage, it feels like Eloy Jimenez is the guy who stands a little bit more, especially because coming into this season, he was not uh, somebody with the notoriety of all these other prospects. Yeah. And
1: those guys you mentioned, I mean, that's what comes down. That's why I really like this category. I think we introduced it a couple years ago ago in, in the Milbys, it is very subjective. I mean, it it's how do you define a breakout? Is a breakout a guy who has become, you know, gone from we somebody we thought would be pretty good to being, he's definitely going to be a star, and if that's the case, I think Moncada fits that pretty well. Uh, you could certainly make the case that he is now the game's top prospect. I mean, he has met that ceiling um, as far as prospects go. Um, so is that how you define a, a breakout, or is it going from a guy who... Not a lot of people have heard to to a uh, you know a, a guy like Eloy Jimenez who, in the prospect community now, is pretty much just on a one name basis. And if you say Eloy, you know who you're talking about. Um, Eloy
0: Manning is who you're
1: talking Eloy, about. yeah, Eloy Manning. Oh wait, never mind. Oh yeah, yeah, the, okay. Uh, <laughs> not, the not the same. Yeah, not the same. But it, so it's how do you define breakout? And you know, fans will get their chance this uh, off season to kind of define that for themselves um, just to kind of run through the rest of the picks. We don't have to debate the, these as much, but best team I had double a reading um, when I wrote this, they were the only full season team with a winning percentage above 700. Uh, we know what they've done in this first half, you know, specifically Reese Hoskins and uh, Dylan cousins, two of the, biggest boppers in the minors this season a lot of that has to do with playing in reading itself but you know we can't discount what they've been able to do in terms of power as the top two leaders in minor league home runs and then they've gotten help from top 100 prospects like jp crawford jorge alfaro and roman quinn so that's my pick for best team uh best farm system i had the cleveland indians uh fifth best winning percentage when you take up all uh, affiliates, but then you just look at each of their prospects, and I think they've all grown this season. Uh, yeah, you make a good
0: point in there too, Francisco Mejia, who is on like an eight billion game hitting streak. He could also factor into that breakout prospect conversation. He too. was
1: actually the the guy who was on my short list as well. He was number two um, to give you to kind of peel back the curtain. But yeah, between Mejia, Bradley Zimmer, Clint Frazier, Bobby Bradley, Justice Sheffield, Mike Clevenger, Tristan McKenzie. Uh, these are all guys who look better now, I think, than they did at the beginning of the season. The only one I would say maybe that's not the case for is Bradley Zimmer, who seems to be striking out a lot more this year, but it still has that nice combo of power and speed at Double A. And Brady Aiken is healthy in pitching, so that's really that's the one bar he had to meet, and he's doing that. So there's lots to be excited about in that Indian system. I think they really improve themselves when whenever we do farm system rankings again in the future. Um, they will be slightly higher than they were last year. And game of the year, uh, I have that wonderful Brooklyn-Staten Island opening night uh, marathon. Game went 20 innings. Uh, I think it featured 41 strikeouts between the two sides, Uh, 553 pitches, 16 different pitchers. Just a crazy game in the New York Penn League opener. Uh, That was my favorite game of the first half. And best performance was when Rob Wooten uh, was given a spot start for the Triple A win Braves on June 30th and ended up throwing six no-hit innings as part of a no-hitter that the G Braves did that night, Uh, going from a guy who I think only had one career start before that, being thrust onto the mound for six innings and uh, coming through in a big way. That was was a really cool thing. I think that was best individual performance just being given the circumstance and all that. Uh, Austin Hedges had eight RBIs, I, I know, earlier this month, and Preston Tucker had an amazing game where he hit three home runs and had 88 eight RBIs. Those were interesting performances as well, individual performances. But that Wooten one, I remember reading about that and just being like, wow, that!" imagine just being pressed into a different job than you're used to and being nearly perfect. Um, that was really cool to see. So those are my midseason. Be, I, don't, I don't want to call them winners. I'll just call them picks. Um, but, yeah, that was the latest tool shed for this week. It's up now on the site.
0: Go check it out there. Yeah, uh, Rob Wooten, one start in his previous 279 career appearances, and then in a second start, it eh, just turns into no-hit day, starts a no-hitter. Um, strike through this week. We sort of touched on this a second ago, but we're talking about first-half breakout guys. Second half, who is primed in your eyes, Sam, to be somebody that we look at and say, yeah, he got it figured out?
1: Yeah, so um... – I'm going to find breakout a little differently than I did in that first segment there, where what I mean is my breakout here is a guy who was struggling in the first half, uh, not putting up the numbers. Maybe we expect and seems primed to be, you know, to just turn it on here in the second half. My pick for that is Lewis Brinson in the Ranger system. This was a guy who had his breakout year last year, you know, played three levels uh, was at high a desert or high class a advanced high desert, double-A Frisco and triple-A round rock, hit 332, 20 homers, 18 steals, did everything you would want to see out of a toolsy outfielder like him. Uh, this year they sent him back to Frisco just because he, he only played 28 games there last year, uh, let him get a little bit more double-A experience under his belt this year. Not quite working out the way you would expect given his package of tools. Right now, as we're talking, he's, he's hitting 243, 298, 477. Uh, with Frisco with 10 homers and 10 steals. So the the power's not quite there. The hitting ability's not quite there when it was last year. Um, Part of that, I think, is partly explained by, you know, this is a guy who missed significant time in the first half. Uh, He missed, I think, uh, just around a month with a left shoulder injury. Uh, So he might have been dealing a little bit with that beforehand. Since coming back, he has certainly turned it on. Uh, in July, just six games, you know, so it's a very small sample. But he is 11 for 26 with three home runs in six games uh, and also two steals. So that, you know, over that six-game span, I'm not projecting that out for the entire second half, but this is a guy who has a 1.406 OPS now that he is back and fully healthy. Uh, and when you dig down a little deeper into his numbers, he's got a two fifty six BIPP. And for a guy with his speed, I mean, you look back at his previous PABIPs last year uh, in 28 games at the A level, his PABIP was 333. And for those who don't know what BBIP is, it's uh, batting average of balls in play. So B-A-B-I-P. And that uh, there's a lot of ways to look at PABIP. The way, one way to look at it is luck. Uh, normally average PABIP is around 300. So if it's significantly lower than that. It could be because the defense is making a lot of good plays, stealing hits from a from a batter, and that could explain a low average like Brinson's 243. It's particularly high. It could be that he's been gotten a little lucky. Um, but if they're speedy like Brinson is, you would expect a higher of a bit because these are guys who are going to be beating out infield grounders and stealing hits here and there. Um, so to, for his to be that low, I expect that to normalize in the second half. Um, you know, certainly go up, and uh, he seems like a candidate prime to. Just once now that he has his health, uh, that power to cer- certainly turn on the second half, he always has that speed, and I think the hitting ability will come back as well.
0: I uh, I was going to... Say the same. I was going to say Lewis Brinson also because the, the talent there, the tools there, um, you don't feel like you're going to keep him down for long. So I'm going to switch gears instead. I'm going to go with Bradley Zimmer with the uh, the A Akron Rubber Ducks in the Cleveland Indians organization. Obviously last year, really good breakout season with Class A Advanced Lynchburg. After 78 games there, he moved up to Akron. Struggled a bit, batted 219, OPS 687. This year – the average has not been great, but he's done things really well around it. Uh, at the end of June, he was just a 234 hitter. Since then, he's bumped that average to 244 because over his first nine games in July, and we're recording this on Wednesday, he's batting 324, 410, 588. Um, and, you know, Bradley Zimmer, it takes a long time to get adjusted to double A sometimes. And being, you know, in that league, in that ballpark, uh, obviously early on in the season, even though he did hit his best in May. That came off of the struggles of kind of a rough April in which, you know, sometimes in the Eastern League, the weather's a factor. Travel can be a factor, as it is in so many of these circuits. Um, But Bradley Zimmer seems, similarly to Brinson, a guy who is way too toolsy to keep down for long. So uh, I'm expecting something out of him in the second half to make us go, oh, yeah, I remember remember what it was like fawning all over Bradley Zimmer this time last year.
1: Yeah, I feel really bad. <laughs> Normally we coordinate these. i like, who's going to no, say No, no, I
0: like that because when you said it, I thought, good, then I, I made a solid pick as well.
1: Yeah, we're see, there picks. you go. That may, that just means we're mind-melding. Hot right?
0: synergistic.
1: Yeah, there we go. That's, that's all that
2: means.
0: <laughs> By the way, somebody who could also be argued to be a breakout prospect in the first half of this season and maybe on in the second half is going to join the show here coming up in just a little bit. That's Ryan Healy of the Oakland Athletics Organization. Ryan was at the uh, the Futures game this past weekend. We'll talk to him about that. But in case you're wondering, why not some Ryan Healy love? Because he's been outstanding. Don't worry. He gets a lot uh, coming up here very shortly. And strike three this week. Finally, Sam, we close with this one. All-star game last night. Again, we're recording on Wednesday. The American League will have home field advantage for the 2016 World Series. There were a lot of guys in that game last night who this time you know five years ago or this time when they were coming up in their careers I don't think a lot of people would have looked at them and said yeah it's a major league all star in the making of the guys who are in the minor leagues right now who do you think at some point could surprise some people and make his way onto a major league all star roster
1: yeah so um you know when I kind of posed this question i I think back to some of the guys who were you know in the Major League All Star Game last night. Um, you know, I know Matt Carpenter was definitely a guy who was not necessarily well thought of when he was in the minors. Or when I say well thought of, I, I mean not highly ranked, um, not a big time prospect by any means. Now one of the game's bigger stars, uh, Brad Brock. You know, the guy with the Orioles, um, not necessarily again a, a, a top one hundred prospect on any list, and now you know he's considered an All Star. So who who would kind of follow in that mold? Um, who's somebody now that you know we're not going to see on a top 100 list, but could see in one all-star game, could see in multiple all-star games for all we know. And uh, I mentioned earlier in the show that I would get back to Joey Jimenez and the Tiger system, and here we are. I'm going to talk about him now. Uh, this was a guy at who got to be named to the, the Futures game, so a lot of people might have gotten their first chance to see him this Sunday. Uh, he was my pick for top reliever of the year uh, so far. He's a perfect 17 for 17 in saves. ERA, 0.73 whip, has not allowed a home run yet this year in 32 appearances. Uh, He struck out, get this, 45.1% of the batters he's faced. So almost half of every batter who steps into the box against Joe Jimenez this year at high A Lakeland and double A Erie has struck out, has failed to make contact or put the ball in play. Uh, He does that because he's got a fastball in the high 90s, uh, he's got a plus slider, so he's got those two pitches to make him a really good reliever. Um, the reason I bring him up in this segment is because you know normally when we talk about top prospects, we don't talk about relievers because they're you know that is their ceiling. They they come in to pitch one inning a game, maybe every other day, every third day. If you're a closer, you're only coming in when the when you have the lead in the ninth, that kind of situation. So relievers typically don't make as big an impact on. Uh, major league rosters, therefore they're not going to be highly ranked because you're going to choose a, a starter who has the potential to pitch 200 innings over a very good reliever who has the potential to throw 60, 65 innings. Uh, so Jimenez, I, I think, is one of those guys who, once he gets to the Tigers, he is their closer of the future. Uh, and, you know, all you got to do is rack up saves to get spots in all-star games, to be frank. Uh, and, you know, he has the stuff to to be a long-time closer uh, even though he's only ranked right now number eight, I believe, in the in the Tiger system according to MLB.com. So he's a name you could see multiple times in future All-Star games uh, but might not necessarily see very high on prospect lists right now.
0: I'm going to stay in the same division. I'm going to go uh, a little bit off the radar, and I don't know how this would play out down the road, but, hey, we're picking, you know, off-the-radar picks for something like this. Hunter Dozier in the Kansas City Royals organization. I know a lot of people out there listening are like, Hunter Dozier, really? This is your pick? Uh, Hunter (laughs) Dozier this season has done nothing but just smash and punish baseballs everywhere he's gone. Um, Struggled, obviously, pretty badly in 2014 and 2015 uh, while at AA Northwest Arkansas. But the thing I like about it, came back, went to AA Northwest Arkansas to start the season and slashed 305, 40, got a bump to Triple A Omaha in the Royals system. With the Omaha Storm Chasers over fifty-seven games, he's OPSing 942, so he's held his own. Um, obviously there are a lot of roadblocks for this circumstance. They've got a pretty good third baseman despite the fact that he's injured right now in Kansas City. Um, but you know, the Royals have factored very heavily into the All Star game over the last few years. I'm gonna give the Royals some love. Hunter Dozier. he's the fourteenth ranked Royals prospect. When he was drafted, most everybody wondered what are the Royals doing taking this kid eighth overall. Um, I've liked Hunter Dozer throughout his career. It's really good to see a guy like that make the adjustment, find his way back to some success at a difficult level like being in the Texas League. Why not? Why not Hunter Dozer?
1: No, I I actually really like now that I I've you've explained yourself and talked your way through it. Uh, <laughs> how you reverse engineered that. And that it Thank was, you. you know, the Royals just seem to get every All-Star now, exactly. so who is the guy in the royal? If he's system? on the
0: major league roster, he's going to be leading in votes somewhere. Yeah,
1: so uh, I see what you did there.
0: <laughs> so there, that wraps up this week's edition of Three Strikes on the Show Before the Show's 67th episode. Um, which last week, by the way, I said episode 67 in the last segment. I had to go back and cut it out because I didn't realize that it was actually episode 66. But this week really is episode number 67. Coming up on this week's edition of the show, the Oakland Athletics have a whole lot of guys really talented at corner infield spots and one of them shined pretty brightly in the futures game over the weekend that is uh, one of twitter's latest editions ryan healy third baseman slash first baseman who's up with the triple a nashville sounds right now ryan healy joins the show to talk about the futures game san diego the experience of being there and what it's been like climbing up to the triple a level this season the oregon product ryan healy joins the show before the show next
2: Watch the stars of tomorrow today on MILB-TV. Before they made it to the show, stars like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, and Chris Bryant were on MILB-TV. Subscribe today to get more than 5,000 minor league games streamed live and on-demand, including games from affiliates of all 30 major league clubs. Select all-star and postseason games are also included. On the go? Watch on your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch with the free MILB First Pitch app. Visit MILB.tv for details.
0: We are officially past the midway point of everything that isn't short season ball in the uh, the major league and minor league calendars now, and we are joined for this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast by the Oakland Athletics number no. sixteen prospect, that's Ryan Healy, who was fresh off an appearance at the Futures Game over the weekend in San Diego. Ryan, welcome back to uh, to Reality. I would imagine it was a fun weekend out of San Diego.
2: Oh, it was a blast. Being quite close to home, having friends and family out, couldn't have been better.
0: So, tell us about the experience. Uh, The Futures game, obviously, I mean, one of the most uh, prestigious honors that you can experience as a minor leaguer. You get to go out there, take part in the entire game, um, but it's more than just that. I mean, you guys, as rosters for the U.S. and the world, you get to go out and kind of have the the mini Major League All-Star experience. Just kind of take us through the weekend.
2: I'll be honest. uh, The San Diego citizens and the people that are running the Padres Park, they did an amazing job of making you feel like not only you were comfortable there, but you felt like a big leaguer. So... I've had numerous friends that have done this in the past, and they gave you nothing but words of encouragement and kind things to say about it. And I think experiencing it firsthand made it that much sweeter. Um, being that close to home was awesome. I probably had upwards of 50 to 60 friends and family there to, to watch it all go down. But the facilities there are bar none. So, I mean, that made it that much sweeter, and the weather couldn't have been any better. And just
1: kind of take us back to when you found out. I mean, we talk to a lot of guys, and we hear about how they hear about promotions or you know getting that call to the big leagues, that kind of thing. How do you find out about getting to the futures game? And specifically for you, how do you put all that together when you have that many friends and family expected to come?
2: Oh, my head was spinning. I mean, I found out when I was playing a a card game, Pluck, with three of my other teammates and my manager and my hitting coach walk over and say oh, Ryan, he was representing us on the USA team for the Futures game. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Who is? Me? <laughs> so I kind of had to let it sink in, and then I walked outside, and I called my parents, called family, friends, girlfriends, agents, just kind of let everyone know. I was like, everyone had a million questions, but I had no answers. So I said, hey, guys, I have news, but nothing to follow that. So hang on tight, and I'll let you know when I figure more out.
1: And uh, take us through the game itself. Uh, you know, you had a, a solid afternoon there. I think you were two for three, threw in a double um off Alex Reyes a guy who you would face a little bit I think uh I have
2: faced Alex Reyes probably way too much for my life <laughs> that's the first time that I have gotten a hit off him so him and I have actually formed a relationship over the last couple of years of facing each other and seeing each other outside the ballpark so really really awesome guy and even a better player so you know you really enjoy just competing with guys like that and he gave me a little smile on third base. so um, I think we we're all enjoying ourselves
1: yeah, I was going to say, how do you how do you turn on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball and turn it into a double like that, especially on a stage like that?
2: You know, I wish I could give you an explanation, but it kind of just happened. It's one of those things where just your reactions take over, and once you're rounding first base, I'm going, how the heck did I just hit that pitch?
0: Ryan, when you uh, are part of an experience like that, um, you were the the lone A's member of the U.S. roster uh, over on the world side. There are so many talented guys, you know, like Alex Reyes that you mentioned, that guys who you have seen throughout your career. But who are some of the guys who maybe you hadn't been exposed to, you know, whether it was teammates or opponents uh in the futures game that you really, you know, liked watching BP or liked watching on the mound? Um you know, who kind of stood out to you from some of these other young stars that are up and coming? You
2: no, know, I saw Alex Bregman play a little bit in the beginning and he's just the easy one to say stood out because of how well he did and how good of a player he is, but the one guy that I really enjoyed talking to was Dansby Swanson for being the number 1 overall pick. He was a very humble human being, um very willing to learn and discuss the game of baseball it wasn't about himself at all. And him and I had great conversations through the course of the game. So I really enjoyed getting to know him along with, I already knew Hunter Dozier and Hunter Renzo. So we all had really good times hanging out. And then Ryan Stanek, another guy that I played with throughout college. So a lot of familiar faces in the, uh, in the clubhouse and on the field, in the dugout. So I think we all enjoyed ourselves and everyone's company.
0: When you are taken away from, uh, you know, the routine of a minor league season to go take part in something like that, uh, we hear, you know, especially this week, there's been so much discussion about out for the major league all stars. It's really not a break. Um, I mean, the the major league guys go and they take part in all these events and they go play in the game, and then you know, there's a day off on the back end, but most of the time those guys are traveling. Um, but in the minor league season, it's got to be a really cool break in the the monotony of the schedule. What has it been like? Like, I mean, your last minor league game now uh, was for Triple A Nashville back on the eighth. Getting you know taken away kind of this dream experience, then all of a sudden you get thrown back into the PCL grind. What's that been like?
2: You know, it's, it was kind of a stressful process because you go out of your comfort zone. You don't know what to expect. Not to mention, I come home and I have nothing but family and friends that need entertaining. So, trying to figure out what kind of time I have available, and then also what what stuff I need to do for the future's games and to please everyone. So. Trying to please a lot of people and ended up working out. I had some great support systems that just helped with a lot of the extracurricular things that I didn't want to deal with. So they were great with that. But I um, do it all came together. Honestly, once I got on the field on Sunday, everything just kind of made sense again. It was just like, okay, this is home. I know how to do batting practice. I know how to hang on the clubhouse and I know how to play games. So everything else was more difficult than the actual game, but um, tomorrow I'll go and join my team in El Paso for the opening series, second half. And then, uh, things will sort of make sense again in our world
1: and uh just to get a little bit of the focus back onto the regular season what helped you earn your spot in the futures game um you know you split this year between nashville and midland it seems like a little bit of a breakout year for you you hit 14 homers already uh we're halfway through the season only two more and you you know tie your career high you're hitting 325 between those two levels what kind of work in this off season or spring training or what's been different about this year for you or what's gone into this breakout from your end?
2: You know, I kind of got to a point where I got through the off season and I didn't get a big weekend bite. And I kind of had a feeling it was a make or break year for me um, as a 24 year old. Being on the cusp of a prospect, non-prospect kind of guy. And it was time for me to really either step up or step aside. It was getting to that point where I needed to really make a big change. And some of the things that I do as a player. So I spent a lot of time this offseason studying film, talking to major league baseball players, uh, people that played numerous years in the big leagues. Um, a couple of guys that are really impactful was um, Ed Sprague, that was hired by the A's. That's kind of a mentor, rover guy. So he has helped me a ton. Played similar positions that I played in the major leagues for upwards of eight to 12 years, somewhere we around that. So him and I still talk religiously. And then Kevin Pilar, one guy that I trained with in the offseason and talked to throughout the course of the year. Um, They're two kidding instructor there. Um, I think it is helps a lot of the guys along with Donaldson and um, and cross and Batista and even Kevin was going through it. So him and I were going through similar adjustments together. Uh, once things started to click through the course of spring, it kind of caught fire. Once I got to Midland and I just tried to run with it as far as I could and really write everything down that I was feeling and thinking and just kind of keep that in my memory book and have that as a reference for when things go south, because in days fall, they always do go south and that's, soon as you can climb back north as possible obviously that's a that's what makes you a better baseball player
1: so so at what point this season did it feel like things had kind of clicked or you know was there one particular note you had taken you know taking that advice from those guys Um, was there one specific spot or anything like that where it felt like this was a a big year um, and things were finally clicking for you
2: I honestly don't think I've had that realism yet I haven't allowed myself to feel the you know, the success that I've had so far, I don't really sit back and enjoy what I've done just because the season's so long, it's impossible to enjoy what's already happened because I mean, you wake up the next morning, it's a new day, a new game. So you really have to take the ups and the downs with a grain of salt and sweep it off and do it again the next day, whether it's a walk-off home run or a 0 for 4 with four strikeouts, which both have been done this year. So you really have to treat them both like the same and wake up the next morning with a, a positive mindset, ready to do it all over again. Hopefully, the positive, not the negative.
0: Ryan, in the system right now, with you, there are a lot of good guys who are uh, at corner infield spots, and you've seen time obviously at first and third, and is a DH in AAA so far. Um, but you know, there's Matt Olson who can play a little bit in the outfield, also plays first base. Matt Chapman plays third base. Renato Nunez plays third base. There's so many guys who are at the similar spots in their careers and also similar positions, and a lot of people obviously would view that as a challenge. Is how is the pathway clear for all of you guys to make that ascension to Oakland? But I would imagine there's a ton of benefit in that too, in that You guys can sort of commiserate, bounce things off each other, learn from each other. How does that dynamic work with so much of that talent right now at AA and AAA in the A system?
2: You really have to put your ego aside in the sense that you're not essentially competing against each other. You're competing against a game of baseball because there's 29 other teams out there that may not have a Matt Chapman or Matt Olson or Rana Nunez or Ryan Healy, for that matter. So you're really out there competing against the game and improving your skills as much as humanly possible. And if one of those players has knowledge about something that I don't, then we'll try and share knowledge and learn from our mistakes and go from there. But it really has to be more, and it sounds really selfish, and that's not how I'm trying to say it, but individualized in the sense of your development and allow the team, the teamwork and the winning to kind of come along with that. Because I've heard numerous times that, you know, you're there to perfect your skills and that's what the minor leagues for. You talk to managers and, you you only failures you have is the ones that you don't learn from so I think we've all done a good job of helping one another and I really think that all of them are going to be big leaguers whether it's with the Oakland A's or not you never know and that's just the reality of baseball nowadays but um, you really have to put your your selfishness aside and be willing to help people around you and I think that comes back around and helps you also
1: and uh, Ryan we'll, we'll leave you on this one um, you know you talked about how you know necessarily it might not be with the A's that you You'd be making you know major league debut, or you've got all these guys who could potentially move and all that kind of stuff. But in this A system, you know, it's the only system you've known so far. It's it's certainly one that comes with a reputation um, of Moneyball and all that with Billy being at the top. I mean, they made a movie out of it and all that. Uh, but what is it like to be a prospect in the A system? What can you kind of tell us about what their kind of machinations are? What it, what it's like, you know, as a guy who's come up from you know, a draft pick all the way up to AAA now, what it's like to be a prospect there.
2: It's a lot of fun to be a homegrown guy. I think anywhere you are, um, you've known the system and everyone that's in it from trainers to coaches, to managers to everyone's uh, strength coaches through and through from the beginning to now. And it's a lot of fun to build relationships with all these people that um, you get to see on a daily basis. and makes going to the office that much more enjoyable every day. And I mean, the more people you have, it's just more fun to have, the amount of homegrown guys that we have in our national team right now is pretty incredible because of how close we've been over the last three years. And the success that we've had has made baseball that much more enjoyable. So, you know, learning is always more fun when you're winning. So I think that we've done a great job of that. And the Oakland A's have really instilled that in their farm system and continue to grow.
0: Ryan Healy the Oregon Ducks product is a kind of a new addition to Twitter over the last few days at RC Healy 25 but he's already verified which is awesome we just give him a follow from the MILB account so you can find Ryan there and by the way uh, there's a really cool tweet during the Futures game that went out MLB tweeted out a screenshot from the broadcast um, you guys were using some really cool bats from Blast Motion that provided a whole lot of crazy data on you know swing speeds and, and obviously the exit velocity and all that kind of stuff that we've grown accustomed to with, uh, with StatCast but um, Ryan Ryan's swing speed during the Futures game was 74.9 miles per hour. The Major League average is 69.6, so that's pretty cool. Uh, So go follow Ryan on Twitter. Ryan, we can't thank you enough for making a few minutes for us, and uh, congratulations on, on all the success this season, the Futures game appearance, and we'll be watching in Nashville the rest of the way. Best of luck.
2: Awesome. Thank you guys so much for your time. Have a great day.
0: after week, I'm always excited to talk to Benjamin Hill, but this week, a a blog post and a story came out of which my excitement could hardly be any higher. Ben, first off, welcome in.
3: Hey, thank you for welcoming me, and uh, I'm glad to be here.
0: So let's get into this. The Spokane Indians put out a story two days ago on their site, which you can go find which is one of the most amazing minor league things that I've ever seen. Um, Just, I don't want to take away the thunder from from this story, so I'm going to have you explain this, Ben, but it surrounds the 1987 to 1989 Spokane Indians and their team card sets.
3: Yeah, I found out about this for the first time last night. Uh, The team got a hold of me and said, you know, this is something that might interest you, knowing my kind of weirdo, Uh, bizarre sensibilities, and this definitely interests me. For these three years in Spokane Indians history, they were sponsored by the local uh, Northtown Mall. And so, because that was the sponsor and they wanted to promote the mall and uh, put everything together, they actually photographed these team sets at the mall. So there's three years of Spokane Indians baseball card team sets in which players are in full uniform they went to the mall as a group field trip and spent the afternoon wandering around and choosing what to pose with or against or whatever. So it is just a classic mix of just surreal late 80s images. We've got uh, you know pitcher Bobby Sheraton uh, posing with a cardboard cutout of ALF. Uh, you have the manager at one point. Um. What was the manager's name? He was uh, Steve Lubritich, I'm assuming is how you say his last name.
0: Maybe it's yeah. like Labratic, I don't know.
3: L U B R A T I C H. I gotta yeah, look up his Steve baseball reference. Steve Lubratic is pictured with a cardboard cutout of Whitney Houston, <laughs> and uh, he has his arm around uh, Miss Houston, but he looks miserable. Like he, he looks, he <laughs> looks like he's pleased. Being coerced into this whole thing. There's several mannequin photos that the team sent me. Uh, we were all cracking up before we went on air about this one where uh, Saul, Sol- Saul Soltero has his arm around a mannequin who's looking at him, while behind him is another mannequin creepin. <laughs> 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 staring over his shoulder. Um, so the, not, team was- the
0: lighting on that could not be better either, because you can't really see anything of this mannequin over his left shoulder other than her ghostly white face with very creepily lifelike eyes, and she's just dead staring the other mannequin that Sol Sotero appears
3: to be hitting on. So maybe there was like a little mannequin jealousy. It was the
0: 80s. They were coming alive for movies and stuff. We don't know what
3: happened. It was definitely a different era. So if you want a... Uh... A a bit of 80s nostalgia and a truly weird bit of uh, baseball card history. Uh, You know, the Indians were nice enough to uh, send me eight images of these cards. Um, I assume there's way more. I went online and actually just bought the 88 team set for $3. But uh, go to my blog, Ben's Biz blog, and uh, check out a little backstory and plenty of pictures from the Spokane Indians team sets in which the players went to the mall in full uniform and posed with mannequins, cardboard cutouts, various storefronts it's just a gold mine you know what else i love about it too is it's really
0: not that bad of an idea on the scope of minor league sponsor tie-ins when you think like oh yeah the mall will sponsor it they'll obviously you know they'll pay the cost they'll get to slap a logo on it whatever and in exchange for that you got to take pictures of the mall like it's very much a logical progression of minor league sponsorships but it also somewhat surprises me that we don't see this more often in some sort of spectrum uh, where, you know, like they're taking pictures at a car dealership or something like it seems like this is something that a minor league team could still well do today. I think it just works out so perfectly that they all look so dated now with Alf and Whitney Houston and the hairstyles and it just plays out so beautifully, this story.
3: Yeah, it really does. But I think you're right. I I think teams might actually want to consider this idea going forward. It won't be as awesome because it's the present day and, you know, the past is awesome and we all hate the present. But, um, you know, you got a zoo, you got a water park, you got a car dealership, whatever, if they're a team sponsor. Um, You know, minor league card sets can sometimes be kind of a tough sell because only the hardcore collectors get into them. So why not add a dose of absurdity and tie it into a sponsorship and try to get a little more uh, attention for it?
1: I would love the zoo. I think the zoo would be a that big would be selling. good. Yeah, be good.
0: has got to be. A it's got to be friendly there. animals. Can't put anybody so. in like the you know the grizzly
3: enclosures. Well, you could. Well, you well, could like just
0: like lean over the little wall for it, and just like the grizzly. You know, like Mark Capel a couple of years ago when he took that selfie, he was standing over the bear pit and the bear was looking up at him. It was like the greatest selfie ever taken. Maybe they could do that from now on.
3: Yeah, well, that could potentially be a different sort of mall photo. Uh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Thank you.
1: All right, kind of moving on to it seems like every couple of weeks we've been talking this year about uh, a new team going after a new identity. Um, I think we knew Lynchburg was going to change its name. Now we know some of the team finalists, uh, team name finalists, that t- uh, fans of Lynchburg are going to vote on. Uh, what can you tell us about that, starting with – I can't believe I'm going to say this. The Lynchburg Love Apples.
3: Yeah, the Lynchburg uh, Hillcats, the latest team to uh, throw their hat into the renaming ring. I think they're joining, what, Staten Island, uh, New Orleans, Binghamton. Uh, Now we got Lynchburg on the scene with a renaming contest. Um, And one of the reasons I do love these renaming contests, in addition to reading the Facebook comments of fans who are outraged at every single selection every single time, um, one thing I love is that you truly do learn about – weird bits of a local area's history that is true and uh you really do and and i i being serious here i believe i can talk so much more knowledgeably about america as a whole because of the things i've learned through this job and that really does extend to even these absurd name the team contests so it's a you know an apocryphal tale but thomas jefferson apparently visited lynchburg uh he was a big fan of that area lynchburg virginia and uh you know there was debate at that time whether tomatoes were poisonous and uh, he you know bit into them to prove that they weren't and uh he dubbed them love apples and so now we've got the Lynchburg love apples as a potential team name so that's the one that really stands out i wrote about this in a blog post yesterday just riffing on all the different things i mean you see uh you see love apple up there and that's the one that's going to really you know be the love apple of your eye and <laughs> That wasn't even good, um, <laughs> but some other interesting ones up there. The Lynchburg dere- derechos, derechos. Yeah, I uh, don't know how to say that word. Well, it's a you know, it's a Spanish word meaning, you know, derecho would be right, and I think the origins of that Spanish word are originally right, as in like the law or wise, but it's also used for you know your right or left. But a derecho. I, I I don't know. I, I shouldn't even try to adopt a Spanish accent. But um, that's a a a type of storm that's prevalent in the in the region. Um, a straight line windstorm that looked pretty ominous. So they could be named after a a, a locally specific kind of storm. We got the Lynchburg Doves. Um, it's a reference to their faith-based history. I mean Lynchburg is the home of uh, Liberty University and the Falwells and uh, the Teletubby bands and all those things. So the doves – and it's also a tribute to hunting culture, Lynchburg doves. Hillcats is still in the mix. Uh, we find it improbable that the team would do a contest like this and still go with Hillcats. We'll see about that. Um, and then almost as absurd as as Love Apples is Lamb Chops because Lamb Chops is just a goofy name. But the description for why is it's a celebration of Lynchburg's faith based heritage. And, you know, Jesus is the Lamb of God. So it's kind of weird to have a pretty serious and heavy religious reference tied into <laughs> the frivolous, irreverent nature of a name like the Lamb Chops. And if you're going to reference the faith based history and have that name. I don't even want to start speculating what the logos could be. <laughs> I you know, and as
0: children of a, a certain era, I guess we kind of all sort of straddle this line, but when I hear the term lamb chop, I think of the sock puppet.
3: That's what I was gonna say. Which all was right, on but, TV. Yeah, and yeah. in my blog Speaking post, I times. uh in my blog post I embedded uh, this is the song that doesn't end and suggested that <laughs> if they do use that name, they could uh they could go ahead and uh, play the song at the ballpark. And then finally we have the uh, River Runners in Lynchburg, and that's because John Lynch. Age 17 started a ferry service, and uh, his ferry service was what established what became Lynchburg as a a viable community, so the town's named after John Lynch and his ferry service. He was a river runner, so that's a more historical, uh, slightly more, uh, I want to say conservative name, but it's not as ridiculous as Love Apples or, or Lamb Chop, certainly, so... Another team in the mix that's going to rebrand, and uh, we all look forward to the names and the logos and all the debating that comes with it, and of course, learning more and more about American history through team name contests.
0: By the way, one of the things that people, when I used to work in the Carolina League, one of the things that people assumed, which I learned, like Ben said, you learn a lot of stuff by getting to know these teams' histories and their areas' histories, not the Lynchburg where Jack Daniels is made. A lot of people think that about Lynchburg, Virginia. That is not. That's Lynchburg, Tennessee you can't even drink Jack Daniel's because it's a uh, it's a dry town. It's like a dry county, as I understand.
3: Yeah, I visited there years ago and uh, visit, uh, toured the Jack Daniel's distillery and got some lemonade afterwards. It's okay. kind of a, a weird thing. Like, hey, <laughs> toured this whiskey distillery and here's, <laughs> here's a nice glass of no lemonade. Touching. Here's this, yeah. product, this product that we're very famous for. Now enjoy our lemonade. Right. I'm trying to think of an analogy for that. Yeah. And- Kind of coming up blank right now, or at least ones that I don't want to say on a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> All right, we are in the throes of
0: the Pokemon Go phenomenon in society. Um, I, I'll refrain from any commentary on it, but we've already seen teams posting. There are uh, there are Pokemon Go stops in ballparks from coast to coast. I even saw the Hartford Yard Goats who are not playing in their own ballpark. They apparently there are Pokemon that you can collect uh, at Dunkin' Donuts Park, which isn't even open to the public. But um, what's been going on with this, and what has the reaction been for the minor league community? Because on the one hand, you want to embrace that fans coming to the facility, that sort of thing. On the other hand, it's kind of annoying to just have a lot of people show up at your doorstep, and doorstep, and be like, "Hey, we got to stop in here and collect these creatures that don't exist," while our phones are being mined for data by big tech companies.
3: Yeah, you know, I I am not in on this phenomenon, and it, it, quite honestly, on a personal level, feels a little unsettling to me. I just talked about it for the first time this weekend, or this past weekend, on Friday night. Oh, yeah, no, it blew up. And and now we're talking on Wednesday as if this is just such an entrenched phenomenon. It's it's so strange how how fast these things move. And, uh, you know, someone tweeted at me over the weekend, like, hey, what do you think the first team to do a Pokemon promotion is? And at the time, I was like, what? I don't even know how that would work. And of course, bam, they've blown up. And, you know, Tyler, your question about how annoying it is or people just wanting to come to the ballpark to, you know, to, to find these characters and gyms and uh, all these other kind of terminology I'm, I'm not too familiar with. Minor league baseball is already uh, – there's already a culture of distraction here. You know, True. It can be annoying sometimes, but it's all things to all people. It's family-friendly entertainment. You know, it's the video boards and the food and the music and the sound effects. So to me, saying please come to the ballpark to find these Pokemon characters is just an extension of all that, even if it is a further distraction. But you know, the teams have also the Durham Bulls, I think, were the first team to announce a Pokemon related promo. And uh you know, one thing they did is they opened the field to the public for two hours yesterday and in exchange for a donation that went to charity. So that's a pretty cool way to get people access to areas that they normally can't uh, you know, raise Money for charity and 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 work on it that way. You're also seeing teams now announce it as weekly promos for the rest of the year. I think I just got a press release you know, from the Carolina Mudcats saying that that you know Wednesdays or Thursdays are now like you know Pokemon Go days and you can do X, Y, and Z and there'll be contests at the ballpark for the you know the fan who catches like the highest profile Pokemon or however it works. So it's not going to go away. Dozens and dozens of teams have already done something and. Um, I'm sure dozens and dozens more will because what's it about? Getting people into the ballpark. And if that's going to get people into the ballpark, then, you know, why not?
1: Is there going to be like a team that's going to come in with a last minute Pokemon jersey night, theme night, that type of thing? Or is promo schedule too set for that kind of
3: turnaround? Uh, it's not necessarily the promo schedule itself is too set, but in terms of the licensing and design, that would be a pretty quick turnaround for the 2016 season. Uh, you never know, though. You never know in this uh, speedy world in which we live uh, how quickly this might come together. Or at least, you know, uh, a jersey referencing Pokemon without quite using the uh, you know terminology and uh, trademark logos and all that. You know, some, some teams are pretty good at skirting the edge of copyright law and more power to you.
0: Ben, before we wrap things up for this week, you've got a story coming up at the end of the week on uh, an Appy League storyline that you discovered while you were down there last week. The Princeton Rays mascot, Roscoe holds a wrestling belt in a local league. Explain this story.
3: Well, this is just great. I, You know, I, I was in the Appy League uh, through July 4th visiting every team, and I'm still, you know, a couple weeks later, I feel like I barely scratched the surface in writing about all these visits, uh, writing a couple articles a week, and really got to get going on the blog post as well. Much more to come from the Appy League, that's what I'm saying. But one of the next things to come is my stop in Princeton where I met Roscoe the Rooster, and two things about Roscoe. One, he talks. And the only other mascot I've ever met in minor league baseball talks is um, Archie with the Reno Aces. So he's a chicken and he talks, or a rooster and he talks. And I interviewed him um, a couple times during the game. I interviewed him on video, and that'll be embedded in the story. And then I just started talking to him later, um, you know, just during the game and got a bunch more quotes. I'm writing a story based on my experiences talking to Roscoe and, uh, you know, Roscoe's alter ego. Tommy Thomason, you know, a local guy who also is the team's clubhouse manager. And in talking to Roscoe, it was kind of became increasingly difficult to blur the lines between am I talking to this chicken right now or am I talking to Tommy Thomason, who, (laughs) you know, is kind of sort of is Roscoe? Because a couple times, you know, when I was talking to Roscoe, he mentioned his divorce, and I was just kind of oh, no. like, uh, uh, <laughs> "I mean, did you, Roscoe are getting talk- awkward. Yeah, did you Roscoe the talking chicken get divorced, or did the man inside?" But there's chicken not, a, there's is not but there's not a man inside any mascots. <laughs> no, never. mascots exist. So it, it gets very tricky. I'm trying chicken to figure out the, It's a do. very difficult yeah. thing, but to talk to. Uh, Roscoe was a pleasure, and he's a really nice guy, really nice chicken. And he also is undefeated on the local wrestling circuit. Um, he started off wrestling against a, a mascot or a, a wrestler called the Cumid Assassin, and he's since had twenty five um, matches, and he's twenty five and zero. He's wrestled at the ballparks a few times. He has a, a wrestling belt that he wears on occasion, and he literally gets in the ring, to, <laughs> and and wrest- I, so, I love it. This is my wheelhouse. <laughs> a talking mascot in a West Virginia Appalachian League team who also wrestles like pretty much on his own accord and volition outside of being the team mascot. It's just a wonderful thing and the reason I travel this country every so, week is a yeah. million
1: dollar week when you... you know like how how did they not just accidentally you know i I think back to when I was like stone cold stunner, you would grab the guy's head and just pull it down. How does his head just not call? fall off and traumatize all the children
3: uh well because it's not a costume sam because yeah, he's sam. actually that's he's true. a, he's a real, six foot three real large town. i'm just
0: saying we wouldn't want a rooster running around with his head you're off you're saying like the mall santas they're just like the proxies of the real santa and they get sent out there so if the actual roscoe had to send somebody in a costume theoretically i see what you mean i see what you mean because it, it doesn't gets, really happen because they're it all it
3: gets it gets complicated but no we don't want to see a chicken running around with his head cut off <laughs> i i got you on that one um yeah, so read about it. It'll be up on the site on Friday. It's coming up. And uh, it includes a, a two-minute interview, and, and he dances for the camera, and he also uh, shows his finishing move in the wrestling ring. So <laughs> look look out for that.
0: <laughs> Every week – Is a good week with Benjamin Hill, but this week has been loaded with awesome stuff. Go read the Mall Baller story on bensbiz.mlblogs.com right now about the Spokane Indians and that bizarre run of baseball cards in the late 80s. See if you can track down uh, Steve Lubertich and see if he ever broke the neck of the person taking the picture of him with his arm around a cardboard cutout of Whitney Houston. Uh, You can also go check out the Lynchburg Hillcats Name the Team contest. That's up at their site right now, and you can check out Ben's content on the site and on the blog the rest of the week and on into next week. When we talk to Ben again, it's going to be tough to top this one. This is a good week.
3: Yeah, but this is this this time of year. There's so much going on right now. I mean, we we have topics we weren't able to even hit on today that are that are relevant. It's just a deep, deep well. And uh, we're just going to keep uh, raising those buckets right up to into the uh, airway. Oh, man, that analogy (laughs) collapsed. It It collapsed. It collapsed. So uh... next week,
0: more bucket raising.
3: There you go. It. Come back next week. We're going to raise those buckets. Thanks, man. Thank you.
0: Ryan Healy and Benjamin Hill are two guests for this week's episode of the Show Before the Show podcast. Big thanks to those two guys. And uh, again, keep an eye out for Ryan Healy the rest of this way with uh, the Nashville Sounds at the AAA level in the Pacific Coast League. And that leads us into. Uh, talking about some TV, where you can catch Ryan Healy in his Nashville Sounds and also a whole lot of other talent, uh, one of the guys who we discussed, even Sam. Who are you eyeballing this week on MLB TV?
1: Yeah, so Ryan Healy, in his interview, we talked about his uh, one of his at-bats. His, his double came against Alex Reyes, and he, he, I love the way he interrupted me when I was asking the question. Not that he interrupted me in an impolite fashion or anything like that, But uh, when he was saying, oh, yeah, no, I know Alex Reyes. I have gone up against (laughs) Alex Reyes. I don't think I've ever gotten a hit against him. Uh, So now you can see Alex Reyes. uh, This Saturday, uh, he's slated to pitch for Triple A Memphis against Albuquerque. The game is in Albuquerque. So there are some pretty good matchups there. Uh, We know David Dahl is now up with the Isotopes. Um, Got the call up from Double A Hartford a little bit before the All Star break. So he's still getting. Uh, his feet wet at the AAA level, but it's certainly taken off there. There's a couple other good prospects there with Tom Murphy and Jordan Patterson. So it'll be interesting to see how you know, Alex Reyes, this guy who can touch triple digits with ease when he needs to, uh, won't necessarily do it the way he did it in the Futures game in which he knew you know his time was limited. Uh, but that was on Sunday when he last took on took the mound. He's going to have plenty of rest going into Saturday. Uh, he's had his fair share of problems uh this year nine starts with the redbirds uh 4.35 ERA but he's still striking out guys left and right uh 61 strikeouts and 41 in 41 and a third inning. so he'll be trying to get back on track there and uh facing a pretty good lineup in Albuquerque so that's that's one of those matchups you always want to see on the uh the old old TV
0: i'm going to stay on the mound too i'm going to go to the southern league and the double a montgomery biscuits the affiliates of the tampa bay rays uh screwball extraordinaire Brent Honeywell will be making his second double-A start sometime this weekend. I believe it's going to be Saturday. Uh, as of right now, a different starter is listed for Saturday, so it could be Sunday for Montgomery, but keep your eyes open there for uh, a look at Brent Honeywell. He's the Rays' number two prospect behind Blake Snell, and Honeywell is worth the hype. Uh, really, really good prospect. Started this season 4-1 and with a 2.41 ERA in 10 starts for Class A Advanced Charlotte in the Florida State League. So Brent Honeywell, a lot of fun to watch, and uh, he and his biscuits will be taking on the Tennessee smokies this weekend coming up in montgomery so that does it for the 67th episode of the show before the show podcast this is a fun one today i like this show
1: yeah no this was packed with a lot of stuff i remember talking to ben and i was like so what do you want to talk about and he just listed this thing after that thing after that thing after that and so his segment was packed we got a lot of great stuff from ryan healy uh thanks again for him for joining us and uh you know we're recording this on wednesday when it's just supposed to be the day without sports but uh minor league baseball doesn't really ever stop so never
0: stops never in fact, stops. fact, wally backman just posted the lineup for the pacific coast leagues all-stars who will be clashing with the international league tonight uh that's coming up before you'll get this podcast but you know hopefully you tuned in yeah so
1: go, go go to the site there will be plenty of highlights from that game a ton of uh, if you missed it we'll, we'll have all the all the stuff
0: all right sam Until next week, everybody enjoy uh, the, the second half getting rolling all across the world of baseball, and we will talk to you then.